in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn and this 
This is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. My dog has decided to join the chat. We just tried to record this intro a few times, um, and he wants to make a little noise every single time. Did you hear that? This is why we, I was about to say this is why the show is live. We're not live. Um, This week, we have a different format for you. Are you ready? Can you handle it? We actually have a few new formats coming for you soon that I'm excited to introduce, and I'm delighted to hear your feedback. So this week, it's a QA and a style, looser, more discussion-based, more personal interview. I took questions from you all via email, Discord, and Instagram comments and presented these to an expert. Rachel Rogers, author of We Should All Be Millionaires, A Woman's Guide to Earning More, Building Wealth, and Gaining Economic Power. According to a profile of Rachel in the magazine BlackEnterprise.com, Roger's initial goal was to earn $50,000 a year while working from home. A little over a decade after starting her company, Rogers is a multimillionaire. Rogers, a black woman, attorney, and business owner, spends a lot of her work giving advice for how she went from poverty to wealth. Her business is coaching women into seven figures. Those are her words. And along the same lines, this is the description of Roger's book, quote, only 10% of the world's millionaires are women, making it difficult for women to wield the economic power that will create lasting equality. We're back to making women rich, guys, specifically black women. Now, this is a huge departure from most of our episodes in that I've spent the last few weeks, maybe even months, unpacking the pros and cons of financial feminism. So to speak to a black financial expert and coach who has more capitalist views than I do, okay, more capitalist views than most of our recent guests, was a bit of a ride. So buckle up, listeners. Let's get your pressing queries answered. Today, Rachel Rogers tackles your questions about 1. All kinds of insurance, term life, pet, dental. 2. Her 10K in 10 days challenge. That's right, you heard it here first. We're going to hear about a 10K in 10 days challenge. Three, how to make cash fast by liquidating your assets. Four, the benefits of being annoying. Five, what taxes to pay on the stock market and capital gains. Six, what to know if you're starting to invest in your 50s or 60s. Seven, why I, Gabby Dunn, choose investments I understand. I will only invest in a company if I know what it does. Eight, helping a family member who is bad with money. Slash enabling addiction is basically something else we talk about from personal experience. Nine, what to ask a potential financial advisor. 10, how do you counteract inflation? 11, a spicy take on landlords. Mmm, spicy. And 12, black women and social security. So this is going to be actually one of our last episodes with this kind of format. Uh, We have some really exciting stuff coming up. Uh, It's going to include some changes. I I will tease them here. But basically after this, we're going to be doing a few like totally revamped formats that I'm super excited for. Uh, So this is a Q&A with Rachel Rogers. And then next week, that's right. My dog is very excited as well. So now, Rachel. 
I am Rachel Rogers. I am an author. I wrote a book called We Should All Be Millionaires. And I'm also the CEO of a company called Hello7, where we focus on helping people who have been historically excluded build wealth. I'm also a mother of hella children and and a wife. (laughs) How much is hella children? Four. I think any three or more, I would say is hella. Or maybe it's four or more, something like that. I'm... I'm one of four and I'm in the middle. So that's why I have a podcast. I'm constantly screaming. Someone pay attention to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But you're probably also a peacekeeper, which is great. That's that's the that's what they say about middle children anyway. Yeah, me and my partner are both middle children and we're often like, what is this? What is what are why are we drawn to each other? Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, okay. so how did you start working in finance? What's your journey? It's actually hilarious that, you know, I, you know, it's perfect that I'm on the bad with money podcast. because <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was for most of my young adult life was bad with money. And but I was very focused on making money because I grew up with a lot of financial insecurity in my household. We'd have lights going out. We'd have days where food was scarce. Like there were a lot of challenges And I was very focused on like, how do people make money? I was fascinated by it. So I would like babysit for a wealthy family and be like, they have money. How do they make it? You know, I was just always curious and trying to figure that out. So I was very focused on building wealth, Um, though it took me, you know, like my 20s, I was trying to figure it out. I went to law school because I was interested in becoming a lawyer. And from what I heard, they make good money. Then, of course, I graduated in the middle of a recession. So there were not good paying jobs <laughs> available. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, you know, basically I sort of found my way there by building a business and finally over time building wealth for myself and building a financial security. And then once I did that, I wanted to tell other people how to do it who were similar to me, who grew up without financial security or who just, cause I think we think it's so hard. It's so hard to make money. Money is so scarce. It's so difficult, right? Like these are the stories that are told over and over again in our culture. And I wanted to disrupt that and say, actually it's hard because we don't know the rules or we don't know the game, but if we learn it, it's actually doesn't have to be that hard. Yeah. I used to, when I lived in New York, I used to walk through the Chelsea neighborhood um, and look at all the brownstones and think about knocking on all the doors and just asking the people yes. who live there, what do you do? And and how do you how do you own this brownstone? You know, I would imagine it would be like a couple of gay guys who both had male salaries and no children or someone yes. who the brownstone was passed down in genera- like generational wealth, you know? Like I was always but I had this idea that those people were better than me and that it was yeah. like out of reach in some way. Exactly. So how did you, what were your first steps? Like, how did you start um, getting out, getting like to learn the game and getting out of the hole you're in? So I got into school and I would always hustle to figure out how I was going to pay for it, whether it's part-time jobs, I would hustle for all the grants or just all the, I would find all the money, like all the little bits of money and pull it together so I could cover the cost of school. But I still took out a lot of loans as well. So I graduated with a six-figure hole that I was in and not a six-figure job, which is what I thought I was getting when I went to law school. So I clerked for a judge for a year and he was great and such an incredible mentor. And it was so good. And there were so few really great options. Like I got a lot of job offers, but none of them paid particularly well 
and they all seemed like they sucked a little bit. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. Like I have a law degree. I'm licensed to practice law. I'm going to figure this out. So I started my solo practice on September 1st, 2010. You know, that was the beginning of my journey. And it probably took me about two years. I would say the first year, I think I made like 60 grand. The second year, I was like more like 200,000, but that, of course, I had to pay expenses and stuff. Of course, the first couple of years, I was just kind of paying off debt, getting myself stable financially. And then after, oh, and you know, figuring out hiring employees, firing employees, trying to make all of that work, hustling to make payroll. But after a while, I was able to grow that practice to around 700,000 in annual revenue, which was good. And I mean, out of that, I was probably paying myself like 150,000, maybe 200,000 on a good year. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. And that was sort of the beginning of it. And then I eventually discovered that I really loved running a business. I was great at sales and marketing. I was great at managing a team. I was good at practicing law. It was just boring to me because I was, you know, it became repetitive. You know what I mean? So I was bored with it. And so from there, I transitioned because I felt like there was not a lot of all of sort of the talk of like, build a six figure business, right? That was all the talk when, you know, it was like, early online business days, 2010 and the years after, but there was never anybody talking about making seven figures. So I'm like, I'm making six figures and I'm not taking home all that much, especially I live in New York. It's expensive. This is barely getting by in New York. Right. So I'm like, I want to make a million dollars. Where's the info about that? And there was none. Right. Or if it was, it was like, I would go to an event with like 100% white guys. And I'm like the one black woman and well, I, I shouldn't say that. There were usually a couple of women, you know what I mean? A couple of white couple women. A couple of white women, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've heard that before from so many um, women of color that I've had on this show where they're like, anyway, it was like me and a bunch of white people and I'm the only one. <laughs> yes, correct. So I would be going into rooms like that, which I paid to get there. And, you know, hear sexist comments, racist comments be sexually harassed at these events that I'm paying thousands of dollars to attend so that I could learn the secrets of how to grow my business even more and these seven figure secrets. You know, eventually I was done with that world, but that was sort of how I kind of did it. And then I realized that there was a real gap with how to grow to seven figures and beyond. And once I cracked seven figures, I wanted to teach other people how to do the same. So I transitioned from the law practice into business coaching because people were asking me for business advice all the time because my practice was doing well. Um, and so I started giving it and they started getting results. I was like, oh, maybe I'm good at this. And so then I eventually transitioned to teaching people how to build seven figure businesses. And mostly like, I was like, I don't want to teach white guys. There's a thousand people in the world that are teaching, you know, cis white guys, like how to build wealth. Right. I want to teach everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. and I want us to be in rooms where we can talk about building wealth and none of us are the only, we're not, we're not the only anything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what I've built and it's an absolute delight. So because of that, we have, I asked the fans for questions. So there's like, we're kind of all over the place, but these are some fan questions. Are you down to, awesome. to answer them? Yes. Yeah, so fun. Okay. So something that's come up a lot, and this is, this is a question from the discord, uh, which is, is life insurance worth it and who should get it? Yes. I think there's a way to get life insurance pretty inexpensively. I have term life insurance. I just do that because I think it's inexpensive. I have it on automatic payment, so it's not going to lapse. And it's like, that's when you think about it, what is it for? Like, I think sometimes we just hear these terms and we're like, oh, I should do that, you know? And I'm like, yes, but why are you doing it? Right? Like, I have a whole bunch of dependents and a whole household that I've built that is going to require 
somebody to pay the bills if something should happen to both me and my husband, right? And so especially if something happens to me, I want my husband to be able to have the benefit of something equivalent to my salary, what I bring home or more. You know, if you don't have any dependents, then maybe it's not as important to you. But like, I'm also taking care of my mom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like, there's people in my life that depend on me. And so that's why it was important to me. I think there are scenarios where you don't necessarily have to have it. But for me, I feel like term life insurance is inexpensive enough that why not? Do you have any pets? Is pet insurance worth it? Which is kind of funny because this question came up on the Discord and it's come up a lot. But I was just at the vet yesterday and I I felt like I was like in a synchronicity because I watched this man uh, argue with the front desk because he was like, well, I have pet insurance. And they were like, right, but pet insurance is for emergencies and it doesn't cover like you bringing the dog here for whatever and he was like had this paperwork and was like straight up arguing with them about it which also was super funny because the dog's name was pumpkin so he kept <laughs> arguing with the person but like they were arguing and kept being like well pumpkin da, 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 da. and I was like I'm this is the funniest thing about the most like hilariously named dog so yeah I mean that it's funny because it's come up a lot but like I just watched this guy where it was like didn't even it, it wasn't working the way he believed it, it was going to. Yes. I feel kind of like that about dental insurance. Like I don't have dental insurance for myself and my family because I feel like I pay into it. They cover almost nothing. I feel like the premiums are super expensive. We don't use it that much because, you know, you know, gratefully we are all have healthy teeth, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like, mm, I feel like I'm just going to go ahead and pay out of pocket for our cleanings. And if something comes up, I'll pay for that. And I think this is similar to the life insurance question, which is that I think the best insurance you can have is the ability to build to build wealth and to make money happen when you need it to happen. There are so many times on my journey where I was like, okay, there's this bill. I don't have enough money to pay it. I have to find a way to pay it. It's like a game, except it's real life and it's a little bit scary, right? Mm-hmm. And you're sweating and you're stressed out. And I'm like, this bill is due by this date. What do I got? Right. What can I sell? Let me put this digital product that I created on sale. Let me email and say, hey, I'm having a dis, you know, I'm offering a discount on this service. Are you interested? And I would find a way to raise capital in a short period of time and designed a challenge, which I call the 10K in 10 days challenge, challenging people to not wait for an emergency, but challenge yourself to make extra money, whether it's a side hustle, whether it's asking for a raise. I think it's important that we know how to generate extra cash because that is going to come up. And to me, that's the ultimate insurance policy. Like my piece comes from a lot of my financial piece anyway, comes from knowing that I've got cash sitting, right? Like, and not sitting, I have a little bit of cash in my savings, but it's mostly in the stock market. And then I've also got lines of credit, right? That I don't need, but I just have them just in case. And that lets me know how much runway I have. And that is the ultimate insurance. You know what I mean? For lack of a better word. No, I mean, I I used to in my like early days, and I still sometimes do, I sell everything. Like there's been times where I have sold my entire bookcase of books or- yes. Uh, or like all my, all of my clothes, which a lot of it is I have bipolar disorder. So sometimes like when I'm manic, I'll be like, I've sold my whole closet. And then I like wake up from the mania and I'm like, well, that was a choice. Um, but, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I did make some cash. So uh, yeah, I've definitely like 
looked at things in my home as being like liquidated cash in some weird ways. But okay, yes. so you so you were, you know, and I think people might bristle against like 10K in 10 days because I think they're like, that is impossible. And that's exactly why I like it. Because I want to challenge our thoughts about what is possible with money. We think earning more money or having access to more money is impossible. And I want to challenge that because I don't think it is impossible. I feel all of us have talent, skills, things that we could do, items we could sell, moves we could make. Like, let's just focus on our money. Let's focus on our earning potential. Because I think we always think about, I make a finite paycheck. Here, what are the various moves I can make with it? 401ks, IRAs, insurances, all of the things. And I'm like, yes, we need to know that. And at the same time, what if we actually focused our energies on earning more and just exploring the opportunities to potentially earn more and believed that it was possible, what could happen? Because that's what happened for me. I needed more money by necessity. And because of that, I found all of these different ways to create more money. Whenever I was making, trying to make extra money, like building an audience, right, is one of those things that can help you make money whenever you need to. You can sell your time and say, hey, you want to pick my brain? An hour of my time cost X. Sell a yeah. couple of hours of those so you can have the money for a vacation or something you want to do. You know, it's just a different way to think, not just a here's my finite paycheck and mm-hmm. I got to play with it. Yes, that's important. That's an important conversation. But I also think we need to have a conversation about earning more as well and thinking about the potential for that. So you were and I talked about this with Jamie Schmidt, who's um, who founded Schmidt's Naturals. Um, yes. And we were talking about the idea that you have to be a little annoying my mm-hmm. fr- like it's so interesting the people that were starting out that were in my dms like every other week being like can you post this can you post this whatever and at the time i was like oh my god this person is so fucking annoying and then uh <laughs> but then like within a, a four or five year period i've seen those same people have built up their business and they're thriving and some of them have surpassed me even and i'm like oh okay like i see like this actually benefited you even though at the time I was like, good fucking God, give it a rest. But yeah, but it's hard because you're putting yourself out there so much and it's so it, it can be really demoralizing and it can be. And obviously, like I'm a hypocrite where I'm one of the most annoying people and I'm sitting there being like <laughs> other people are so annoying. Um, and, you know, it's like, but how but how did I get to where I am? And it's a little bit by being annoying and even like. This is like what uh, just, you know, I've talked about people in the past having told me that I was being annoying, but like I sent out an email recently and I don't know if this is what she was talking about, but probably it was. I sent out an email being like, hey, can uh, you guys, you know, to a list of my friends, can you guys post about this thing or whatever? And then some girl that I'm friends with went on um, Close Friends on Instagram and was like, why is why do people send out these emails asking me blah, blah, blah? And I can see it that she did that and I just have to and if I were someone who was younger or just starting out or in a different place mentally that would have devastated me so I understand where people are listening and they're you know in their early 20s or they're you know they're just starting out and they are like that the idea of that happening would just be like the most mortifying thing ever but to me I I had gotten so used to it that I was like all right yeah (laughs) She, she didn't like my email okay It's all good. I think building up that resiliency is important. And I think especially when you wade into entrepreneurship or trying to find ways to make money outside of a regular nine to five, people will question you and challenge you. Yeah. And that's normal. 
And I, for me, it didn't matter, right? Because my need to take care of my family was much greater and my desire to be able to financially provide for my children was much greater than the embarrassment of this person won't like my email or Absolutely. these people. And trust me, there are days that I definitely was laying on the couch sobbing and my husband was like, really? <laughs> yeah. You cry because some people on the internet you don't know said something mean about you. And I'm like, I'm going to take the shame away and decide to not feel ashamed for my success or not feel ashamed for the fact that I need to make these mo- this money this month. And I think I'm glad that I had this deep necessity that it was like, absolutely not. I had to hustle. I had to market. I had to sell. And there was no, I couldn't even think about being ashamed because I right. was so like, I got to pay this bill. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it was a benefit in a way. I love this conversation. Okay, when we come back, more from our guest, Rachel Rogers. And stay tuned to the end for some fun new formats upcoming for the show. Back to fan questions. So one question that came in, do you have to pay taxes on stocks and how do you do it? Yeah, well, I have, you only have to pay taxes if you pull it out. For me, when I'm putting money in the stock market, my intention is not to take it out for like a decade, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right now I'm in the phase of putting money in there and not really in the phase of taking it out. You're paying capital gains taxes. Like if I can just defer some of this capital. And I think that that is a financial rule in general, right? Like, is there a way that we could earn more? You could not only put the max in your 401k, but you could also take money on top of that and put it in the stock market and allow that to grow over time and save things like mutual funds and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that's sort of my strategy. So I will pay taxes unless I move to Puerto Rico where there's a flat 4% tax. Oh my God. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Yes. Oh my God. So many entrepreneurs are moving to Puerto Rico because they're like, oh, I can pay 4% instead of 40%. Goodbye. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Um, But do you have to pay yearly on your capital gains or no? No, you're not actually realizing that financial benefit until you take it out of that account. So it just sits there, la, 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 la. Now I've paid taxes on that money because I've earned it and it's not, you know, it's, I've already maxed out my 401k. I've maxed out my retirement vehicles. So this is money that I put in the stock market on top of that because that ain't going to be enough. You know, Mm -hmm. like we all know that ain't going to be enough to retire on. 30 years from now. And so I'm also putting money into, you know, each month I just trans and I set it up as an automatic transfer. You know, it just sits there and it grows over time. And sometimes it's down and it looks scary. And I'm just like, ignore, you're not taking it out. Don't, don't think about it. (laughs) And then it grows. And the goal is right. That it would grow to enough of a nest egg in, you know, 20 years or whenever, you know, maybe 10 years. I don't know how, I don't know if I got another 20 years of work at me. (laughs) We'll see, but it'll grow to a point where I can then retire or potentially live off of the interest if I can stack enough of it. So another question that came from discord was what would you tell someone or what advice would you have for someone who's starting to invest in their 60s? Mm, I feel you. Just start because in 10 years, you'll probably still be alive. And in 10 years, the amount that you've put in is going to be exponentially bigger. So I still think that it's a good idea to do so. And I, I, you know, I think you have to know like more details about this person's financial situation. But I think if you're just starting, get in there and and make it happen. And it also depends on like, how much do you want to just try more risky things and see if you can get a big return? Or is this money that you can't afford to lose, in which case you want to just go slow and steady? And that's sort of my vibe. 
I'm like, this is money that I do not want to ever lose. This is money that I want to definitely rely on in the future. So I'm not doing anything. I'm not buying crypto with it. <laughs> like I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing, and I don't maybe, you know, maybe crypto isn't as risky these days. I've researched a lot about it. I actually bought a course on it and I'm still not invested in it. So it's, it's going to take me a little bit. I'm a little That shook. was one of my questions was uh, somebody wrote in and was like, is crypto worth getting involved with? You know, it's interesting. There's, I think he's called the investing tutor on Instagram. He's great. He's a black man that teaches about finances. And he says that for historically excluded people, this is an opportunity where we could get in on the ground floor, do something, like put some money into it, maybe not a huge amount, and just be there as this vehicle is starting. And that, you know, in 10 years, it could be worth a whole lot. I resonate with that argument. And I do think that we need to look for those opportunities, right? Because I know for me, right, like there's zero money that I will inherit. I'm not just thinking about the money I need for my lifetime, but I'm thinking about my descendants. And I'm thinking about creating generational wealth. And I'm thinking about investing in other black people in my greater community? How could my lifetime and the money I earn in this lifetime impact people, thousands of people, hundreds of people for decades, you know, even far after I'm gone. And so when I think about it from that perspective, this is why I bought that class. (laughs) Cause I'm like, let me learn about this because maybe I need to dabble. I'm not going to bet the farm on it, but I will I'm willing to take a risk and invest in some small ways and just kind of see and watch it over time. And I do think that like that is, first of all, it's a huge privilege to be able to have money that you can put into an investment vehicle and not need it. I know. I just don't, I just like don't get it. And also uh, it's bad for the environment, but I'm not convinced that it's a ground floor thing to get in on. Like I'm not, I guess like the thing, you know, it's interesting. I took some investing classes and One of the things that he was talking about was like, don't invest in a company unless you know exactly what it does. So like I wanted to invest in AMD, but I was like, what the fuck is a semiconductor? Like, I don't even know what that (laughs) is. So I like was researching it and he's right. Like I invest in Coca-Cola because I know what Coca-Cola is. Um, And so that's like what it feels like with NFTs and crypto. I'm like, unless I can explain to you what it is and where it comes from, I, I feel like I can't get involved with it. And maybe that's like a very old school. It feels like something my grandpa would have said. But yeah, <laughs> I think it's up to us whether we want to educate ourselves about it. I feel like my community is coming from such a precarious financial situation the way it is today that I can't afford to ignore it. Like that I have to at least learn a little bit about it and entertain it, you know, consider it. Uh, Because if it is something that winds up being a huge part of the future or creates incredible upside, I, I, and I have the opportunity to be a part of it. I have to at least consider that opportunity and, mm. and see if that might be a way for me to create some generational wealth for myself and my people. So this is a question um, that came in that is a little bit longer, but it was, how do you help a family member who is bad with money? My sister is 23, earns good money and has always lived at home. She has very few expenses, so has always just bought whatever she wants. She recently wound up in a fair amount of overdraft debt. Thankfully, the rest of us were in a position to pay off her debt so she'll pay us back and avoid the overdraft fees slash credit score hit. How do we help her change her habits? Years of buying what she wants and not having a budget makes it really hard for her to stick to limits, but she needs to change her approach to money. So how can we help? Okay, I will tell you what I've done with a young person in my family, which is cut them off. (laughs) What? Yes, cut them off. Because here's the thing. 
we have to recognize that at some point we are an enabler. We allow mm. this person to not be worried about money, to not have to budget, to not have to care. They don't have to care. You know why? Because you care and you're footing the bill. And they're never going to care unless you make them, right? Like, and the only way they're, you're going to do that is if they have to figure it out for themselves. So, you know, like there is a person in my family who was doing a lot of things like that, constantly in financial situations, starting school, quitting school. And so I said, like, listen, you got to figure it out on your own. I'm done putting the bill. Like, I'm not sending you money literally for anything. The only things I pay for are therapy and health insurance. That is the only, I will contribute to your well-being and your growth and development. <laughs> but I will wow. not be putting the bill for the rest of your life while you sit around and play video games all day. Like that is not how any of this works. I'll also give the caveat to if it's a mental health issue or something else is going on there, that's right. different. But if they are otherwise a healthy and capable adult that it ha absolutely has the ability to earn a living is just choosing not to. Yeah, you're not doing that on my dime. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. It's interesting. People will have a, a different strong opinions about this. My grandfather never helped my dad, even though like he could have. And my dad was full of resentment about it. You know, my parents definitely, I think, enable my sister. I used to be very curious about what would have happened to certain family members of mine if they had been cut off. You know, it's interesting. Like my dad uh, is an addict and alcoholic and he crashed his car and then he was sent to the hospital and then I guess by the time he went to the hospital, he was like sober. So they couldn't really charge him with anything. And and I don't know if I buy this, but one time I was speaking to him about it and I was like, you lucked out. And he was like, not really. Like, I kind of wish that I had been sent to jail because at least I would have had a consequence and I would have realized I wasn't infallible and I would have been a I would have had a wake up call like years earlier. And I think that that is a big oversimplification. But I do think about because I don't. I mean, he's a white guy who's like, I wish I went to jail, which is like, OK, buddy. But yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think it, it and he goes to prisons and does AA in prisons, So he's very aware of what it's like to be in jail as an addict. But yes. um, so he's not talking out of his ass. But it is interesting where I thought that he would say, oh, yeah, I did luck out. And instead he was like, I kind of wish I had gone to jail because then I would have at least had to. Um, I was I didn't have I didn't kick the rock down the road, you know, right facing consequences. Exactly. And I have and I think the reason I have this perspective is because there's been a lot of addiction in my family in the past. And you just become very aware of how much you can be an enabler and you're enabling, especially financially, could literally lead to death. You know what yeah. I mean? And like, who knows? I mean, I, I have definitely felt at certain times in my life that I was watching a family member slowly kill themselves and it was right. absolutely traumatizing. Um, and so it is, it is a, it's a horrible thing. It's a terrifying thing, but you also have to recognize that at a certain point you are not in control. And I think sometimes when we throw money at somebody who refuses to do anything, we're trying to control the situation that is not controllable. Because the bottom line is we all have a right to do what we want with our lives, including harmful things, you know? And we wish our especially, it is absolutely heartbreaking. I've been there and I understand. And at the same time, I'm not paying for it. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not going to pay for you to go to the bar and harm yourself. You know what I mean? In a way that is very yeah. toxic and unhealthy. I'm just not going to pay for it. I'm not doing it. Yeah. It's a complicated conversation. I'm glad we're having it.
Okay, a few more questions. One is, I have a call with a financial advisor tomorrow. What should I ask? I would ask them, how can they help you beyond how you would help yourself? Mm. What can they help you do with your finances that you can't do on your own? Like why work with them instead of just using a like a software or setting up an account with Charles Schwab? Like, I think it's important to ask this, those questions. I would also ask them, what is their own personal risk tolerance? And, you know, how do they, how does that translate to how they work with their customers? And also, do they respect the autonomy of their clients to make their own financial decisions? That's confrontational. I like it. (laughs) It is. It is. But I have to say, I've had, I've, I interviewed a couple of financial advisors before I had my own and I even butt heads with my own financial advisor time from time to time. And it's because I have a high risk tolerance because I've been an entrepreneur for 12 years and taking risks is what got me from negative six figures in debt to, you know, becoming a millionaire, right? Like that's what caused the difference was I'm pretty willing to take risks. There's a certain amount of money and real estate and things that I do that feel very safe to me. And once I have that in a certain place, then I'm like, okay, over here, I'm willing to play here. I'm willing to take some risks here. I'm willing to make a bet on what I believe will turn out really well. Because I think what happens is you can get to a place with your financial advisor where you will not tell them things because every time you have an idea or a move you want to make or a deal you want to do or real estate you want to invest in, they're like, no, don't do that. You know? Mm. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, but I didn't ask for our dad or mom. They work for you. They work for I didn't ask for a parent. Exactly. You work for me. Here's what I'm trying to, and that's the thing. And then I would also have a conversation about Here's what I am specifically trying to accomplish. Can you help me do it? And how would you help me do it? That's another question that I would ask. So like, if you know, oh, I'm trying to save this much for retirement, or I want to get married in two years, or my sister, one of her dreams right now, she's a real estate investor. She owns a couple of properties. She wants to buy a building. Like that is her dream is to own a building, an apartment building, right? Or a building of some kind with tenants in it, you know? And so she's like, that would be her conversation with the financial advisor. My goal is to buy a building in X amount of period. Can you help me figure out how to make that happen? And just so being clear on what your vision is for your finances and what you want for yourself, expressing that to them and asking them how they can help you make that happen. So now another question, what is the best way to counteract the massive inflation right now? Great question. I think the things that work when it's boom times are also the things that work when it's not, you know, when there's a recession or when there's inflation or when there's, you know, financial uncertainty. So I just, I think it's earning as much as you can, hopefully earning more than you need to live comfortably. And I say comfortably, I would rather spend my time figuring out how I can earn more instead of how I can cut every expense. And that's what I challenge people to do. So look for opportunities to earn more How can you personally control what you can control, right? I can't control inflation. But one of the things that I did is I was like, okay, let me get a, interest rates are currently low, but they're going to go up. Mm -hmm. So if I know they're going to go up, let me get a line of credit now in case I have an opportunity that I want to take advantage of, or in case things go bad and I want to have a safety net, let me secure it now at a low interest rate rather than wait, right? So like that might be one of the things that I do to sort of counteract inflation and, you know, just have this safety net. That's there. But the other thing would be earn more than you, you know, spend and then put money 
in mutual funds and safe stock market things, buy real estate, especially if you can do it at a low interest rate, especially if you can buy real estate that can generate an income for you. I'm very much into cash flowing things. I mean, I think appreciation is a beautiful thing. However, I am always like, give me immediate money in my hand. <laughs> right? Like, How can I buy, like, let me buy this piece of real estate and there's a tenant in there and then I, I get money every month. Like I'm looking for something that cash flows. At a and reasonable price. We have a lot of complicated feelings about landlords here at Bad With Money. <laughs> yes, I bet. And that's what I always, I'm looking for like, that's what I love about being a business owner. That's what I love about being a real estate owner is like, how can I be a landlord that doesn't suck? How can I be a boss? like an employer that doesn't suck. You know what I mean? And like, how can I create an equitable workspace as much as humanly possible in this white supremacist capitalist world? How can I do that um, and create the kind of workplace that I was looking for when I couldn't find a job I was willing to take after law school? And that's what I've done at work. And so I would try to do the same thing, especially as somebody, you know, owning property. I do short-term rentals, so I don't have long-term tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I, I'm always like, yes, if we hate landlords, how could you be show the world a different way to be that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like, I don't know, it's hard. I own a cabin, but I my partner and I go there and that's like where we one of our vacation places. And also the idea is that if everything crumbles and we need to immediately move out of where we live in Los Angeles, we have a place. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like a safety net more than an and an investment more than um, like a thing we would ever rent out. So I don't know. I have complicated feelings. Yeah. But it, let's say you lost your job, right? Like, or not really, but you know, let's say yeah. a, a source of income dried up for you and you were like, okay, what are my opportunities for making money? You could be like, okay, that cabin, let's, let's get some rentals popping with that. Yeah. And I mean, you could probably just market it to your audience. I mean, that might be kind of scary. I see people do it. But oh, I don't mark- want anyone to know. We haven't even said what state it's in. I don't want anyone to I know. know. I know. Um, I feel you on that and I'm with you, but people do it and they survive it. So yeah. it's possible. Mm. My partner would <laughs> my partner would probably poop their pants. Uh so um okay, one last question is somebody who was really concerned about their 403B or their 401k and social security and they were looking for how do you find your old ones and also do they think do do you think that that will be something people can rely on is like their pensions or um social security that we're all paying into right now i do i think people i think it's going to pay out but i don't know that it's going to pay out enough that we could live off of it and that's always the concern i know i keep going back to this and people might hate me for it but (laughs) i'm definitely a person that's like i am not going to I don't want to be in a position where I'm relying on social security, right? Like I don't want to be in a position where I'm relying on a pension that may be somehow removed or, you know, I don't want to, first of all, I'm a black woman, right? So I don't rely, I don't trust the American government to have my best interest in heart because it literally never has. So I'm somebody who's like, how can I make this happen myself? So that if the government does take my social security or does take this or that, I got moves, right? Like there's moves I can make. I've got capital that I've saved. And so that's why I'm sort of very protective and very focused on earning and how could I increase my earnings? And I I do it through entrepreneurship. And I truly feel, and I mean, that was part of the whole point of my book, We Should All Be Millionaires, is that entrepreneurship is a vehicle for social justice, I believe, including creating a better workplace, including, you know, building wealth, generational wealth for yourself where you're not 
reliant on your, you know, white cis male employer, you know what I mean? To have mercy on you or give you a raise or respect your autonomy or whatever. So I'm just sort of like a, let me do it for myself type of person. And so that's why I do have a 401k. I do do all the things and sort of check all the boxes that the financial, you know, geniuses of the world say you should do. But then I also go out and say, how can I earn a lot more money? What are my opportunities to earn more? Can I get a raise? Can I make a lateral move in my career, which would allow me to get a bump in salary, right? Like what are the moves that I can make, whether through entrepreneurship or otherwise that can increase my earnings? And if I increase my earnings, then I have more opportunity to put money aside in the stock market so that I'm creating my own retirement fund outside of these other vehicles. Yes. Yeah, that is would be my answer as well. Uh, so <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you and more about you? Thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome and refreshing and honest conversation, which I love. Um, I'm at hello7.co is where you can find me. That's where, you know, I do all my businessy stuff. <laughs> I also have a podcast called the Hello 7 Podcast, and I tend to hang out on Instagram and Twitter my handle is Rach Rogers ESQ. Feel free to DM me or send me a comment or message there. I could use all the encouragement and support and happy to answer questions and things like that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Do I agree with everything said in this episode? Of course not. It's a Q&A with someone with strong opinions of her own. And I have some big plans to have guests with more intensely uncompromising leftist views, as always, but perhaps even more leftist. If you've listened to any of our mailbag episodes, you might know what's coming. Plus, in the next month, I'm going to be bringing you an entirely listener-generated episode with your personal stories and voicemails. And I'm going to comment on them. Ooh, I'm going to comment on them. And I hope to do way more of those, actually. This one is about pet insurance. We're looking to do another one about childcare, pregnancy, surrogacy, and IVF costs. So if you have experience in that, write in, leave a voicemail, leave a voice memo, and we'll do another episode about all of your stories, and I will comment on those as well. Plus, bum, 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 bum. How many times can I do bum, 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 bum every <laughs> episode? Maybe that'll become my thing. There will be some brand new comedic and in-depth movie and book recap episodes, including an upcoming takedown of the ridiculous 2014 financial advice memoir, hashtag girlboss, and a dissection of the film The Big Short by me and a famous TV writer friend with a background on Wall Street. If you have any suggestions for money media that you don't want to have to read or watch or research yourself, send them over. Perhaps a Dave Ramsey book blowout? Would I survive it? And if you have any ideas for user-generated episodes with all your stories, voicemails, and my thoughts on all of them, write in. Uh, we want to do the one about childcare, pregnancy, surrogacy, and IVF. I'm thinking maybe also one about bad landlords or maybe a tale of medical debt woe. I don't know. Those are all things I'm really interested in. Uh, write in. We're going to be making some big changes here, guys. So be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. All of that stuff will still go in our mailbags too. The mailbags are sticking around on Friday. Don't worry. You can join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also leave a five-star review. 
And there might be another really big announcement coming, but I won't say what it is. Okay, love you guys. Bye! Done.